0: 101 podcast where we scratch the socket itches you never knew you had. Today, we're looking at the dark arts and a term that we on this family friendly network have redubbed poop housery. Yeah, Uh, there it is. Yeah, housery or poop housery is a term that describes gamemanship in the beautiful game, the underhanded techniques that players, coaches, and sometimes entire organizations will use to try and gain an upper hand. My name is Ryan Bailey, joining me to explain these most conniving acts. You just heard his voice, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, I'm excited. This topic's gonna be awesome. It will be indeed. Graham Rutherland, let's uh, let's keep our mouths non-potified, if that makes sense <laughs> today, shall we?
1: I mean, do you have a bleep button, Ryan Bailey, there? Or am, am I just gonna have to censor myself? You're
0: just going to make my edit all the more difficult if you start swearing, <laughs> Graham. That's all I'll say. I'll, I'll try not off, to. Let's start off the show. I want to know if either of you have ever been a poop house. Um, I'll admit that on the field, I'm generally pretty well behaved. But the one thing I've done, and I think I've done it a few times and I'm ashamed of it, is if a defend I, when I'm defending and a player's got past me and they're throwing goal and they're about to shoot, I might like yell or scream to try and put <laughs> them <done> off. I've done that. <laughs> and it's really uncool. You've done that as well, yeah. Graham.
1: I have. I thought you were going to say I haven't been a poop house on the soccer field, but in the line at the supermarket, uh, that I've got all sort of ta- all sorts of dark arts tactics in in that setting.
0: Oh, Graham, I live in Italy. There's no such thing as lining up for things. It's just for, it's <laughs> first come, first elbowed. Yeah,
1: I hadn't thought of that actually. You you live in the land of the poop house.
0: Yes, very much so, Graham. Very much so indeed. Any other poop houseery from you, Graham?
1: Um, on the field, I guess. I did once do the thing with the penalty spot where you scuff it up, but the pitch was so bad that I, I don't think it made any difference anyway. It, it, looked, it might have actually looked better. I may have improved things. How about you, Taylor? Uh
2: Yeah, uh, for, I think Pooh Housery is generally in the eye of the beholder. So though I would say maybe not as much. Maybe people I've played against would say, yeah, you definitely have that in you. Uh, the two that I would say, uh, I definitely am a fan of the very friendly, maybe overly friendly uh, trash talk. So if a player, I feel like, has been diving or, like, complaining, like, fouling a bunch, and then they get knocked and fall over, I'll definitely do that. Like, you need a Band-Aid? you doing okay? Like, in the very cool. sort of, like, oh, poor little baby, you all right? Uh, yeah. That tends to get a pretty uh, strong reaction. Also a fan of blowing a kiss. That really, really makes people angry. I've definitely done that on more than one occasion. Uh, I-, I think aside from that, I tend to, like, I, I don't scuff up the spot. I wouldn't shout things when a play is happening. But I think I will definitely get into those little altercations uh here and there. I I, and then Oh go ahead, Graham.
1: I was just saying I love that brand of Poopowsey of of insulting through flattery. That's what Stephen Uh, O'Donnell, who was the Scotland right back at Wembley when we played England at the Euros last summer, he kept on doing that to Jack Grealish. Apparently, he kept yeah. on running past him going, lovely calves, lovely calves, <laughs> lovely hair.
2: <laughs> I think at one time, there was a guy that I was drawing with, and he he put a shot out for... I think it, it ended up being a throw-in. It was one of those types of shots that goes very wide. And I think I said, like, hey, man, don't worry. Next time you'll probably almost get an uh, an attempt on frame. Uh, That (laughs) didn't go well. Uh, So those are some little ones. The only other one I would say I think it qualifies. And I still feel kind of bad about because it wasn't the person's fault necessarily. But there was one when... The ref was, like, maybe 40 yards behind the play. I had a slide tackle. I Like, I know we're always going to say, I got all ball. Like, I definitely got all ball. It was just because it was one of those tackles where you know you want it cleanly. And I hopped up, and then he awarded the penalty. And I was so, so annoyed about it. Uh, and then the guy missed the penalty, and I definitely screamed, ball, don't lie. And that feels like kind of a jerk move in retrospect, but m- yeah. maybe that qualifies as well.
0: Wow, very good. you just reminded me of, of something, uh, a trait of mine as well, Taylor, is um, if someone's down on a floor or I've put them on the floor, it'd be like, up you get princess. Come on, darling. Come yeah. on, honey. Yeah. So like, darling, yeah. honey, princess. And like, it's not very cool to do. And because I've, I've done it quite a lot while playing rec league in the US, mm. they probably think, he's British. Is he just being charming? Or is he yes. being rude? <laughs> it probably does come off <laughs> as driving from you. Uh, I, think, I think the other thing I would say is like, I
2: definitely avoid anything physical like though i definitely have talked previously about how i had coaches who taught about like untying shoelaces and stepping on feet uh i'm aware that any sort of crossing that physical boundary opens up that boundary and so if i shove somebody I can't really complain if they come back and shove me, and I'm not really trying to get into a fist fight in a Rec League soccer game. Uh, I've seen plenty of those. I've seen brawls. I was the one standing on the sideline. I think my buddy was playing on the other team, and I hugged him instead of fighting. So, like, that's sort of where I draw the line. I don't think I needed to get into a fight, but a little bit of the jawing I'm okay with.
0: All right, guys. Well, if you're wondering about the etymology of the phrase poop housery or the ruder version, which you will find online on your internet provider, um, a-, a-, a poop house is obviously an a toilet that's outside one's house. It was very common <laughs> back in the day. Uh, and apparently it's in 1960s Liverpudlian slang a poop house was used to describe a very unpleasant individual, which kind of <laughs> leads us to um, the kind of acts we're going to be talking about on this show today. Now, listener, we have decided to go through some of our favourite moments in poophousery to give you an essence of what it is exactly. And we've done so by dividing these moments into categories. The first category, Taylor Rockwell, is time wasting. Can you give us some examples of time wasting poop super play? Uh, I can, and I think
2: I can use one player to do a bunch of it because uh, Davido Choa, when he was playing against Seattle in the CONCACAF Champions League, really, really became a villain for a good long while from that point on, especially for Seattle fans. But he would delay the restart so it would take him a really long time to find the ball to take a goal kick and then he'd walk back and set it down then he'd maybe want to adjust the position of the ball a little bit and make sure that his path to the run-up was clean then he'd go back and make sure everybody was set and Instead of the six seconds he was supposed to take, it usually was about 45 seconds before he got it back (laughs) in play. But then also sometimes he would strain something or get a cramp after taking a goal kick. And then he was down. And then sometimes he would interact with the fans and then sort of facilitate a reaction that also paused the game. So I think oftentimes goalkeepers can be really effective at slowing the game down, taking their time. Uh, The El Salvador goalkeeper, uh, when we're recording this on June 16th, earlier this week, the U.S. played El Salvador on the road in the CONCACAF Nations League, and he did such a good job of coming out after every incident to talk to the referee. And I went, because at first I was like, what is he complaining about? Like, his own guy bumped into him. And then I just realized, like, oh, no, he's just doing that, because if you come out to yell at the ref, and you're 18 yards off your line to have a word with him, then that buys you even more time to walk back and get the ball and then get set. And he was doing a very good job of consistently slowing the game down. And so anything that basically limits the restart, uh, I think eventually starts to fall into that category when so, it happens Taylor, often.
0: Was there a moment in the FA Cup final, I'm remembering, where Allison was mocking some poop poophousery from his opposing member, yes. Edison, and he he caught the ball and jumped onto the floor dramatically to make his point? I can't remember if it was at Atkinson or Pickford, but it was one oh, where the the guy, yeah. like the goalkeeper, I think it was Pickford, like yeah, caught
2: you know. it and then fell over to waste time at the end of the first half, and definitely didn't need to. And then That's when right. Liverpool came back to get the lead, yeah, Allison did the exact same thing in almost not even almost, just definitively comedic fashion, and I thought it was pretty great.
0: <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Good call, uh, Ryan. Good call. Yeah, that one just came to me, Graham. Anything come to you?
1: I, one of my favourite forms of put pressure is when ball kids get involved in yep. the time wasting and hold on to the ball longer before handing it to the opposition players. One of my one of my favourite cases of ball kid put pressure really was in a Madrid derby. I think it was two thousand seventeen. And Atletico Madrid were winning with about 15 minutes late, left and I suspect that won't be the last time we mention Atletico Madrid in this podcast. Anyway, you can you can imagine what it's like in this situation with Atletico Madrid winning and Real Madrid want to throw in, Ronaldo goes over to the touchline to take it. And the ball, the ball kid goes through the normal routine. He's walking slowly over to Ronaldo with the ball in his hand to give the ball to him. And at the last moment, just turns around and launches it back into the stand and then turns around at Ronaldo and glares at him and gives him a look. And Ronaldo obviously is uh, bemused at what has just happened at the goal of, 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 this, uh, of this Atletico Madrid ball kid. But I feel like that may have been a direct instruction from Diego Simeone. Again, probably not the last time we'll mention him on this show. I also remember... Um, the Swansea City ball kids in a Premier League match against Chelsea a number of years ago. And the reason that I remember this is similar sort of situation where the ball kid pretends he's going to hand it back to the player and then throws it away at the last minute or doesn't throw it to the player. The reason I remember this specifically was Eden Hazard ends up kicking this ball kid and yep. getting a Premier League suspension for it. So he did not react so well to that situation.
0: That's That story became so famous, the ball boy became a celebrity. His name was Charlie yeah. something, I seem to remember. Um, yeah. Yeah, very I mean,
1: British that he became a celebrity and, and <laughs> I assume he was on some reality TV show. Maybe he's on Love Island this year or something. I don't know. V- very British, it seems.
0: That is quite possible. Some excellent examples there. I think there's a lot of time-wasting poop-housery, which is just microaggressions that you see in many games. It can be like taking your time to take a throw on, taking time to take a goal kick. Yeah. Yeah. Selling off. Is off is the sub- big yeah, one. That's yeah. a good one. Anything when a team has a lead and they're trying to hold on to it, 80th minute plus... There's a lot of that kind of action going on. All right. And so yeah, that's... and I'd
1: say and I'd say this is probably the most common form of put power through just because, yeah. you will, as you say there, Ryan, you will probably see it in every match in one form or another, It's mm. particularly if a team is winning with 10 minutes to go or something like that. As you say, it could be just taking that little bit longer from a goal kick or a throw-in or substitution, so it is very common.
2: And it's also, and because it's very common, I think a thing that stands out for me is like when it's happening to a team I support and the opposition is doing it. The more it happens, the more frustrating it is. But especially when you're watching a a neutral game, there can be a moment when like, I almost get admiration, and so, for example, when you do have that substitution when they're trying to kill time, and it's first he shakes hands with every single player on the pitch, and then the official, then he applauds the crowd as he walks off, and then stops to take his shin guards off, and all of that just keeps adding up, <laughs> but the sort of when the player will then sell it, it's like, well, I have to take my shin guards off, I don't know what you want from me, man, like, there's <laughs> a, I know what I'm doing, but I'm going to act like I don't, that almost generates a begrudging respect unless it's happening against the united states when they need to score a goal
1: yeah i have to take my shin guards off oh i've forgotten to give the captain's armband yeah, to someone on course, the other of side course. of the pitch i've now got to walk over to him <laughs> and then walk back again
0: <laughs> oh i didn't shake the other goalkeeper's hand well give me a second yeah lots of that kind of stuff all right so uh time wasting probably the most common uh method of poop housery, the most controversial uh plain cheating which we'll mm-hmm. get to right after this break Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about poop poophousery and its most malicious form, Taylor Rockwell, is just cheating in yep. general. And there's been plenty of examples and plenty of chief proponents of this kind of behavior in the game. Yes, there have been. I mean, and when you have one of the most
2: famous goals of all time... Being a version of this, I would say oh, that's no. a good one to lead off with. Because oh, the no. hand of God with Maradona, Lionel Messi has one, which I kind of forgot about until it recently yeah. did the rounds on social media. Uh, those those sort of deliberately using a part of your body you're not supposed to use to affect the outcome of a goal one way or the other. And in this case, I'm talking about hand of God. You handball it into your own or into the opposition goal, and then maybe you get away with it. But there's also the alternate to that. Uh, Most famously, I would say, done by Luis Suarez for Uruguay against Ghana in the World Cup. Handballing it on the line. He gets the red card. The penalty is given, uh, and then the penalty is saved, and we end up having uh, Uruguay advance on penalties in the shootout. That feels like... He was punished. That's always one that's like, well, he was punished. He got the red card. So yeah. that makes up for it. And it's just like, no, it doesn't. It does not make up for, for what was happening in that moment and the fact that Ghana didn't end up advancing. And when you have that sort of injustice or light injustice, yeah. I think that qualifies.
1: So, so Taylor, you've hit the nail on the head with why this is a great, poop house moment and it might actually be the quintessential poop house moment because yeah. poop house for me is obviously that it's um to define it it's an attempt to gain an advantage through deception or unfair means but often it's not so much that rules have been broken but some sort of moral code that is yes. attached to soccer yes. so Luis suarez technically speaking there the laws of the game didn't do anything wrong as you say he was he was punished he was given a red card uh going get the penalty but there is something in that moment as i say a moral code that he has broken and that for me is the definition of poop housery. it's when that moral code is broken uh, moral code is broken and that's why this is a quintessential poop house moment that is such a great like
2: thing to emphasize because The other sport that I think of this happens a lot is baseball. I know listeners love it when I try to explain baseball, (laughs) but there are certain things that you're just not supposed to do that never seem like a big deal to me, but I'm not a person who has watched baseball and is familiar with all the rules and the practices. And so to me, it's just like, ah, there's so many rules. It doesn't need to be this way. Why can't I flip a bat? I feel like that's always one that makes people really mad or celebrating in certain moments. But ultimately, it is. It's that moral code. It's a, yes, I know to you, a person who's not used to the game, you might think like, oh, what's the big deal? That happens. It's sports. But when you violate that unwritten rule, it, it's the sort of... And then going on the idea of like, well, it's unwritten, so I didn't really do anything wrong. That's where I think it escalates to that next level.
0: Is there not in, in South American soccer, forgive me if I'm, I'm not recalling this correctly, but is it is not a term which means words to the effect of win at all costs? And it's kind of the attitude there is that things like Maradona um, and, and Suarez, have, uh, their gamemanship is more acceptable. Is that fair to say, Taylor? I'm not
1: sure. I, I'm I'm not sure about that that term, but um, I feel like win at all costs is is maybe not something that is limited to South American football. I think you see that with, I mean, I see that when I go and watch Duncastle where my absolute local team, I know Sterling Albion are my professional local team, but even at amateur level, I think you you see that.
0: Okay, so I think I've Googled it. I think it's Charua uh, Gara Chihuahua Charua or Chua Bravada. It kind of, um, is, it means uh, passion, grit and commitment. And they've uh, mm-hmm. cited on the website I'm on Luis Suarez's handball against Ghana as a, a win at all costs kind of thing. So I think I was vaguely onto something with that point but yeah um it is interesting yeah Ryan, i think and i
2: think what i can then understand is especially if you think about world cup qualifying for a moment and how it works everywhere else in the world versus in south america in in europe you're going to be drawn into a group and maybe you get a rival or a team that you have a little bit of a historical connection to but you're not getting those same teams every single time whereas in south america you just have that one big table you're playing everybody home and away but if you have a few teams like that, uh, that Chile team that has been around for so long, there's definitely some housery in there. And I think if you end up playing them on a number of occasions, eventually you're going to kind of build up that negative relationship with them. And then you're going to have maybe more of those instances as a result, because there's already bad blood before the game is even kicked off.
0: Where, gents, do we put... Uh, I'm going to mention his name again. I, I seem to speak about him in most podcasts, but Giorgio Chiellini, my mortal enemy. Where do we put his behaviour in the Euro 2020 final, where um, he horse collared Pekkaasaka?
1: Uh, and- same as same as Suarez's handball. It's the moral code thing, isn't it? So he gets. I mean, I assume he got booked for that. I actually can't remember. But let's just let's just say he gets booked for that. He got booked. So he yeah. gets. He, yeah, he gets punished by the letter of the law. But there is something in the sports moral code that says you don't really do that to an opposition player. Yeah, yeah. And the
0: other sort of example of cheating is the the cheekier side of things, Taylor. Um, do you remember um, when David Luiz was down injured? I think it was during his Arsenal period. Oh no, it was, a, it was a Chelsea game. And he sort of was writhing in pain and then he started smiling. Yeah. And then he started writhing oh, yeah. in pain again. And I think Sergio Busquets was famous. There's a clip mm-hmm. where he's um, hi- holding his face in pain and peeking through his fingers to see if the referee <laughs> is paying attention to his antics. It's the sort of thing, as you say, when it's happening against your team is infuriating, but is absolutely hilarious as a neutral.
2: Yeah, and again, I think it goes to Graham's point of it exposes that, like, the unwritten rules there. Because we had a question once about why when a player gets sh- like kicked in the shin really hard or studs up tackled on the shin, do they fall down and hold their face? And that is an almost universal thing, and my argument was... I think there's like you're trying to like hold in your emotions. It's a thing that we do when we're frustrated, as we tend to like rub our face or cover our eyes. But then when a player does that and has all those familiar symptoms, and you think, oh, something's wrong, and then you very clearly see them not being in any pain at all, it emphasizes that not only was it a dive, but now you're trying to manipulate the official into giving a card giving a decision, punishing a player that shouldn't otherwise be punished. And I feel like you go from just usual, like, oh, maybe he made a little bit more of that than he needed to, into he is actively pretending to be injured. Rivaldo against Turkey. Maybe the greatest example of this in a World Cup. I think it was 2002. 2002. There's a corner for Brazil if people haven't seen it. They should because it's shameful. Uh, a Turkish player just p- hits the ball to Rivaldo so he can take the corner. And Rivaldo, I think it hits him in the shin, and then he goes down like he has been shot. And I <laughs> I think the Turkish player might end up getting a red card because yeah. of it because the official didn't yeah, see it. He and so assumed the player had just rocketed it at him. And that sort of moment of you know exactly what you're doing. You are trying to influence events when they did not go down the way you're pr- – like pretending they did that really again escalates things.
0: Did um, Revado not get a ban after that? So there was actually some uh, poop housey punishment, a rare example hey. there of Taylor, I
2: think. All right, that makes me feel a little bit better, but I'm guessing in the moment it probably didn't do that much for the Turkish players yeah. who were then
0: down to 10.
1: He still got a medal, a winner's medal. <laughs> and
0: they got a third place game. Yeah, exactly. A medal coated in shame is what Roberto got in that instance. Uh, all right, so I think we've covered the essence of cheating poop housery, and we've also covered time-wasting, of course. The next category, gents, straight-up violence, um, <laughs> which can happen in many forms. Um I think one of the funniest examples I've ever seen of this, and it, you may not think it's it's not exactly putting your studs into someone's shin, but there was an Arsenal-Leicester game, I believe it was 2016-17, hmm. where Christian Fuchs was going to take a throw on, and Alexis Sanchez was standing right in front of him, like a couple of, less than a couple of feet from the touchline. Uh, so Alexis Sanchez is breaking the rules, because you have to be, I believe it's two metres away when someone is taking a throw on. Fuchs is tired of waiting. So he just takes his run up and then throws the ball straight into Alexis Sanchez's face from point blank range. And Sanchez, um, you know, took put pictures online afterwards of his bruised up face from this ball being thrown into a point blank face. But folks, I, I don't believe he even got a card for it because it it was kind of, Taylor, this is an interesting... Uh, situation here because both players were poop housing at that time yeah exactly maybe they canceled one another out and i think you'll even see sometimes
2: the player who gets hit off that throw then get a yellow card for encroachment which is always kind of hilarious as well (laughs) uh and, and and i think that's a great example ryan of those sort of, again, taking advantage of the situation to not do something that's necessarily illegal, but also, like, you know what you're doing. I played in a game once with a guy who he was really frustrated with the uh, assistant referee for twice whistling him for, I think it was one of those times where he was, like, whistled for offside. He, He thought he wasn't, vehemently thought he wasn't. Then he gets called for a handball that wasn't a handball. He gets called for something else. And I think the next sequence, the ball, there's a loose ball, That you could say, like, maybe he needed to clear out of bounds. Uh, Like, maybe he's trying to stop a play or whatever. But the AR was standing right there where the ball was bouncing. Like, maybe the ball's five yards from where the assistant referee is standing. And he ran through and hit that ball as hard as he could directly at the assistant referee. And so, in that moment, it's like, I guess he's clearing it and putting it out of bounds. But also knew exactly what he was doing. And again, that to me is a great example of not directly breaking the rules but also kicking a ball or throwing a ball into someone's face does feel like maybe you are uh, instigating a bit
0: that's a risky play in rec league taylor when you might have to go get the ball <laughs> it really is it really is if there's no fence or whatever yeah that's yeah. a big... oh
1: no it's now it's in a river that's yeah. and,
0: and you're right
2: because hitting him is already like i remember the official taking it and sort of looking at him but being like i can't really do anything i just have to be here but if you miss there is that moment where the the ar would see that ball go by and then look at him like i know what you were trying to do now i've got my eye on you so in some ways i guess it's better
0: that he hit him <laughs> maybe so maybe, maybe so uh graham uh, in the category of violence i think we have to say the names pepe and sergio ramos probably
1: yeah and and i would put both of those players in so i'm kind of creating my own category here and i'm calling it deceptive violence so this one can actually be quite dangerous so maybe i'm not an advocate of of this per se but certain players are very good at making violence look non-violent so they Mm. don't get punished for it and sergio ramos was a master at this, still is a master of this, but he hasn't played much recently. So the best example was in the 2019 Champions League final, Sergio Ramos against Mohamed Salah. So the two players are contesting for the ball, but Ramos sort of clamps Salah's arm and then in so he clamps his arm into his body and then pulls Salah to the floor. And this resulted in Salah suffering a pretty bad shoulder injury or arm injury. And that's his game over. And Liverpool have lost their best player and Real Madrid went on to win that game. So that is an example of Ramos' maybe the best case of of deceptive violence over the course of his career. At least Salah, though, got his revenge three three years later in the next Champions League final when Liverpool played against Real Madrid. Oh, wait, no, Mm -hmm. that didn't go to plan either. I'd also say Kane, Harry Kane, is a deceptively violent player. So he does this thing, and we've spoken about this on the podcast before, where he backs into an opponent when they are just about to jump into the air for a header and as he backs into them, he implies that he's the one that's been fouled and sometimes he gets the free kick, but in the process, he's flipped the opposition player up in the air behind him and it's amazing that nobody has done themselves a bad injury due to him doing this and I really do think referees need to clamp down on it because it's obvious when he's doing it and when he has done it, but Harry Kane falls into this category for me as well, even though as a polite you know, polite English gentleman, you wouldn't think that necessarily about him, but in terms of his actions on the pitch, he does this.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and and it is, especially when, like, the Salah one where it's, it, it again remains like, did he mean to do that? You kind of know that he did, but it's hard to say definitively that it was intentional. That's, like, one step of it. And then there are people who will escalate that even further. Uh, the two that come to mind for me on that front would be uh, Gonzalo Ojara playing for Chile, sticks his finger up Edson Cavani's backside, and, that, and then <laughs> when Cavani reacts by, like, hey, what are you doing? He then falls over as then he's been punched in the face, and that leads to a whole scrap. <laughs> uh, and then Luis Suarez's history of biting people. Like... I think a lot of the times, to me, that's him sort of losing his head. But I also think, like, the Chiellini one, he's trying to do it in as sneaky of a way as possible to provoke that reaction without it being obvious what he's done and ends up maybe being too hard in it so you can see the actual teeth marks. But I think those would also be examples, I think, of poop-housery violence. Uh,
0: the the Chile uh, Cavani example there, Tay-Tay, uh, I've, um, a former MLS player who should remain unnamed... Um, Referred to that as an oil check, wow, and uh, (laughs) said that it happens more often than you think, shall I say? Let's just put it that way, yeah.
1: No, thank you, yeah. (laughs) That's why we're losing, that's Mm -hmm. why we're moving to electric cars.
2: (laughs) Oh, and and as long as we're talking about uh, violence and deliberate violence at that, I have to mention Rafa Marquez, who I think will forever be one of the most disliked uh, Tree players from a US perspective for many different reasons, but the one most obvious in the 2002 World Cup just fully throws an elbow into Kobe Jones's head. He knows what he's doing. They're losing that game dos The frustration boils over, but he had more than a few of those moments where there was some deliberate violence when his team was losing and he just needed to vent
0: some frustration. <laughs> okay, we have covered time-wasting. We've covered cheating. We've covered straight-up violence. After this short break, we're going to get to the more verbal or non-verbal communication side of things. Back shortly. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking poop Uh This next category we're going to call banter slash verbal slash nonverbal communication, I think. Um, perhaps, Taylor, the biggest example of this would be um, players hounding the referee to try and influence a decision. Yeah,
2: which uh, I-, I put in the notes as perhaps Barcelona being... The biggest example of that for me, maybe you all will disagree, uh, but I, I felt like I, I have consistent memories of Barca getting a call uh, against them and there being seven players surrounding him to complain about that or Barcelona getting a call and then uh, having players surround the official to demand cards. But I think anytime you are intentionally uh, getting after the official, First off, I think you're trying to influence results, but also I think there comes a point with the official where they feel like they don't want to deal with it anymore, so maybe that influences
0: the way they're going to call things, either more favorably or just let some things go. Hey, or, Graham, Graham, did you did you hear the Man United fan just uh, accusing another team of uh, haranguing <laughs> referees? Did you hear that?
1: I did, I did. I've been, I've okay. been sat here uh, biting my, my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> go on, I don't know what you all are talking about. Manchester United has always been an above-the-board team
2: that <laughs> never got favorable calls, especially late in the game. Never, no. Raheem's the saint. a saint. Oh, sein. good. Yeah, I'm go glad on. we all agree. All right, yeah. cool. So, Man United, good. Uh, but I think it was Pep's Barcelona, uh, like sort of with that surrounding the official, but then also I think of Pep's team, especially Barcelona, and maybe this isn't quite the banter verbal, but it fits uh, because we're talking about them. Just always being very good about the professional fouling uh, to prevent those counterattacks. There was some stat that it was like like Barcelona had the the most fouls, uh, like per Minute not in possession, but that's because they had so much possession and they would foul so readily as soon as they didn't <laughs> that it made them like really skewed one way and then really skewed the other.
0: Excellent stuff, Graham. Any examples of the banter, the verbal stuff?
1: yeah, so just general winding up i guess i'm not I'm not entirely sure if this is the right place for it in terms of the categories but I think sometimes Pousery is just about winding up a player to get a reaction out of them. And perhaps the best example of this working was Diego Simeone at the 98 World Cup where he was at David Beckham the whole game. He was pulling his hair, he trod on his toe, he was in his face the whole game and and Beckham has written about this in in his uh, autobiography before. And that led to Beckham, Beckham out of a moment of frustration of just having this guy on him the whole game kicking out at Simeone off the ball and of course Beckham famously gets sent off Argentina go through England go out what a hero Diego Simeone (laughs) in my book Um, and yeah I think Ramos is pretty good at this as well Pepe is pretty good at this so this is another I'd say a pretty common form of poophousery and often it can just be before a game, a player recognising that an, o- an opposition player will ma- you, you can maybe get a reaction out of them if you just uh, if you just prod them often enough. So there are certain players who excel at that, um, and as I say. Simeone might have might have been the best at this yeah his, his name comes up
0: once again and we're not done with him um no. in terms of winding people up there's also winding up perhaps the crowd and we can go to celebrations for that graham
1: oh yeah this might be one <laughs> this might be my favorite form actually yeah. of put house rate because it's harmless in the grand scheme of things but it winds up so many people <laughs> and for me the greatest poop house celebration of all time is Emmanuel Adebayor when he (laughs) scored against Arsenal. His former team, of course, he'd just signed for City, not long signed for Manchester City. He scored at one end of the Etihad Stadium and he ran. No, actually, he sprinted all the way to the other end where the Arsenal fans were. He did a knee slide right in front of them and just posed there with the coins and the bottles and all the debris raining around him. Absolutely glorious.
0: Excellent stuff. All right.
2: Oh man, I love I love that one, Graham. I love the celebrations. Gary Neville holding the badge in front of the cop is another one that's yeah. kind of an iconic moment. But also, if you're a Liverpool fan, you hated. Uh, am I, uh, can I also just jump in to say, I think with the banter nonverbal category, I would say penalty shootouts or just penalties in general tend to be a. Rife with this sort of behavior. Uh, Most recently, there was the uh, Australia-Peru World Cup qualifier or playoff when uh, Redmayne, uh, Andrew Redmayne, uh, took the proving goalkeeper's water bottle that had all of his notes and just threw it away. So then there was no more consulting of that (laughs) water bottle. That feels like some cleverness. And even, I think, the African Cup of Nations final this year when... I think it's Senegal get the penalty, Mane's about to take it, and Salah is talking with his goalkeeper and telling him uh, like where he's going to go. And then I think he even goes so far as to say like he's going to come up now and say he's going the other way, whichever way he says he's going to go, like dive the opposite. Like It's like that level of sort of talking to each other, trying to feel each other out, the goalkeeper talking as the, the taker is running up to take it. All of that also feels like some bantery verbal yeah. stuff as well.
1: And not only was Andrew Redman the Australian goalkeeper, not only did he throw away... The water bottle with his opposite numbers instructions on it he was dancing along the line as well I'd, I'd honestly never seen anything like it because obviously we've had Bruce Grobelar and um, mm-hmm. oh uh, Jersey Dudek couldn't remember that name yes. there yeah doing the sort of shaky legs thing in, in penalty shootouts but uh, Redman was he was sometimes he was going over and touching the post he was tur- dude spins on the line as well and apparently he'd he been told that by a sports psychologist who said that the idea is to make your actions as unpredictable as possible so that the opposition player is concentrating on what you're doing and they and actually um kind of almost fascinated by what you're doing on the goal line and it was bizarre and i laughed all the way through it but you can't really deny that it worked because australia are going to the world cup and peru are not
0: yeah very entertaining, very entertaining example of poop housery there. Uh, let's move on to um, poop house coaches. Uh, we probably should come Sam back. To, yeah, there he is, <laughs> Diego Cibione, Uh The man who, his cojones celebration, which I think goes back into the previous category, that's fairly poop house ish, I would suggest. Um, there was a moment, I believe, where he once threw a ball on the pitch to disrupt a counter attack. Hmm. i say he's, Graham, is he the biggest poop house of all time?
1: Yeah, I think he is, because he, he was a poop house as a player yeah. as well, and he's just carried that into management. And the thing, I think the thing that's most amazing is that so many players have passed through Atleti when Simeone has been manager. He's been there for 11 or 12 years, I think. And he's built, I would say, three <laughs> good teams, and they all know how to use the dark art. Yep. So either he's signing players who already have that in them, or he is doing poop house training sessions during during the week in preparation for the for these matches, And and I love it.
2: Do you think, like, instead of writing each other, like, nice notes and love notes, do you think Diego Costa and Diego Simeone would just, like, poke each other back and forth, like, literally poke each other and antagonize each other, but that, like, kind of built their bond? Because I think of Poop players, I think Diego Costa, when I think Poop managers, I think Diego Simeone, that feels like a match Mm -hmm. made in hell.
1: Yeah, it feels like one of those TikTok couples that do those pranks that just escalate and escalate and escalate until finally it's like a jackass-style giant hand pushing them off a hill or something. (laughs) Yes, I'm into that, Graham. I'm
2: also, I'm now into the idea of As you said, so many players have come through Atleti under Diego Simeone. That, similar to the way we have like the Bielsa disciples who all play this kind of brand of soccer, I love the idea of there being. I don't really love this idea, but I'm interested in the idea of there being the Simeone disciples, where just another team coached by Diego Costa fouls everybody, and it's like, (laughs) oh, there's the Simeone influence we've all come to expect. Uh, Yeah, that's that's one way, and I think another manager who kind of has that more cynical side of of the game would be Tony Pulis especially Stoke City especially Stoke City with Rory Delap and that long throw just sort of intentionally trying to get throw-ins in any way they could including just hoping the ball long uh knowing I think the line that I remember reading was when you play Stoke you hope for the draw or like hope for the result but pray to get off the field uninjured that <laughs> feels very telling for the style just of Arsenal. play <laughs> exactly exactly so but that there was a sort of Idea that if you're coached by Tony Pulis, you know your team is going to be more than a little cynical. I, I have him on my list yeah. for that reason.
1: I had I'd never seen a team position towels around the pitch right? until I'd seen Tony <laughs> Pulis' Stoke, and you you do see that now every so often. But that very much feels like a Tony Pulis innovation in modern soccer. Yeah, and I
2: love the response to that with the delap throw of teams when they were playing stoke at home when they like like if it was uh everton at home moving the advertising hoardings closer to the to the sidelines <laughs> so that he couldn't get as much of a run-up to make that throw and i guess trying to hide towels at all costs uh i like the reverse gamesmanship there
0: there we go all right well if Jolo Simeone sits on top of the podium mm-hmm. of poop house coaches i'd like to think jose Mourinho is at least in second place um, yeah. The man who, you know, pokes the eyes of his uh, opponents, who runs down touchlines and slides in his nice Armani suit, who literally sneaks into games in laundry baskets because he's been bad at a touchline ban. Taylor, he he is, uh, just look at his face. He's, he's just a poop house. It's, he
2: might be number one. If we're doing a Mount Rushmore of, of poop house managers, he might be number one only because Simeone I think we we sort of, like, you know what you're getting there, but Mourinho can bring in that sort of Mourinho charm where he's being funny and being playful, but then you get the sense that sometimes that that itself is an act and he's being a little bit manipulative or just, like, I I think he's so good at being the villain, at being the troll, that he is, he has no problem uh i i'm trying to think of a reference to veep but i don't want to spoil it but he has no problem advocating one position one day and the next day advocating the opposite (laughs) when it no longer benefits him i think that level of uh moral flexibility when it comes to dealing with the media and dealing with opposition i think puts him in that category for sure
0: yeah he'd make a good politician i think you're right there yeah he would yeah he would (laughs) all right i think we've covered the essence of poop house coaches uh i think we have one more category Poop house teams, and once again we're going to go back to Atletico Madrid. I think we have to kick off here with Diego Simeone, as you say, the uh, the the culture he has cultivated at that team. I've actually got a theory. I wonder if Atleti actually train like normal teams train, or whether you know, in in the Batman movies, that prison that Bane grew up in. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Whether like. You know, Simeone throws players in there, and like yeah, Diego Godín has to sit in a cell for six years. You think you know? Grant... That I was oh, born <laughs> in the Poop Street Jail. Ryan, you know, do you not of... know? Do you not know the backstory of that? That
2: was filmed at Atleti's training ground. That is actually where they send their academy players who aren't performing well. Yeah, that's that a little-known story. Little-known story.
0: Yeah, instead of having to climb out of the well, you have to physically assault all of your opponents before you're allowed out of that prison. There
2: oh, so go. you have been there.
0: Yeah, you get it, you get it. Mm-hmm. I did the tour, I did the tour. <laughs> yeah, uh, any other teams, tay for this one?
2: Uh, yeah, I think a team that maybe gets lost in the shuffle for this one because they didn't end up winning is the Dutch team in the 2010 World Cup. Uh, the famous kick to the chest uh, stands out in my mind. They were denounced by Johan Cruyff for being anti-Dutch football. And just how cynical, physical they were, uh, I think I would put them on that list of
0: all-time Poop House teams. Graham, any other nominations?
1: So I've got Atletico Madrid I've strangely gone for with Mourinho I've gone for his Porto team just I'm, I'm going to mention that with a Scottish frame of reference because here the poophousery of that team is still talked about not the team that won the Champions League in 2004 but the one that beat Celtic in the UEFA Cup final the year before the diving the time wasting it was just classic Mourinho stuff and it was the first time that I'd kind of been introduced to that with Mourinho as the manager so Celtic fans still say that's the reason they lost that match I'm not so sure. I've got a question for you, though, Ryan. You'll have, you'll have greater insight yeah. to this than me. Oh. Wimbledon, yeah. right? I knew this is coming. The crazy gang. <laughs> that picture of Vinnie Jones doing that thing to uh, Paul Gascoigne and his Mr. Men's. Were Wimbledon Men's. a Poop House team?
0: Yes, very much so, Graham. So for the listener's benefit, um, Wimbledon were a very small team who climbed their way up the ranks using many Poop House tactics. Uh, there's a famous picture, as you mentioned, of Vinnie Jones. Um giving uh, Paul Gascoigne an inspection, uh, many uh, very agricultural challenges that went in for that Wimbledon team, but also off the field stuff. Um, The the original Plough Lane, which is no longer there, there's a new Plough Lane stadium, but um, they deliberately made the away dressing room very, very uncomfortable. They didn't put hot water in it, for example, and that kind of thing. So like poop poophousery from all levels to gain... The advantage. Uh, that's a very good point, Graham. But also, you know, Wimbledon had tactics that worked as well. So you, you can't get that, up,
1: sure. that away from them, I,
0: too. Graham, I no, they it, did
1: work clearly. Yeah. Graham, there
2: was there was a joke uh, when I was a kid about Florida State and how they were always ranked as one of, if not the uh, top party schools in the country, and that eventually they would be stopped uh, being ranked in the top 10 because they'd be elevated to like professional party status. They no longer mm-hmm. even qualified for the college amateur ranking. That's sort of how I think of Wimbledon when it comes to uh, Poop Housery, <laughs> that like, they've just they perfected it, they raised it to a new art form. I don't think anyone has attained that level uh, as the Crazy Gang did.
0: Yeah, but they frustrate me less than Atleti do because, hey, they're my team. Anyway, that's how this game <laughs> works. Which leads me to my final question, gents. Is poop housery a good thing for the sport? I'm going to say, on balance, yes, it is, because ultimately, we watch this game to be entertained. Yep. And in the vast majority of cases, poop housery is gosh darn entertaining, Graham.
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends how you define good. I guess if it helps your team win a game, then it's very much a good thing in your eyes. I would certainly, I agree with you, Ryan, I would say it's entertaining as a neutral if I sat down to watch a match and if I get a sense early on in a game that there's going to be a lot of poop houseery, I am rubbing my hands together. Do you Mm -hmm. remember the Atletico Madrid City Champions League game it must have been the second leg I think it was because it was at at Atletico Madrid do you remember that game and on the basis of the football it wasn't a great game but it was one of the most enjoyable games in the Champions League this season because of all the other stuff because of Phil Foden rolling onto the pitch and because (laughs) of Atletico Madrid starting fights and all that I had a great time as a neutral watching that game but as you say I've never enjoyed
0: a Gabriel Jesus guarding a ball in the corner for 20 (laughs) minutes more than that game
1: (laughs) yeah that was one of the games of the season even though the football was probably dreadful, but as as you kind of alluded to there, Ryan, if it happens against my team. I am raging. It is the last thing I want to see. So I have, I have, I struggle saying it's a a good thing, but on balance, it's certainly an entertaining thing. Yeah,
2: I think, I think ultimately for me, it's just it's not necessarily a bad thing because it does have the entertainment value, the spectacle that Davido Cho, when I mentioned in the very beginning, will always stand out. And I feel like Graham, to your point, old firm games have that feeling of any time there's a player dribbling and they're clear and it looks like they're going to get clipped from behind, it you never know if that's going to escalate into a full on brawl or if it's going to be get a, a petty yeah. response so i think it's 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 useful or interesting in terms of that the entertainment value i think also from an entertainment perspective like we, we, you need villains you need teams who you know are going to be sort of villainous or do the dark arts and it makes it that much more fun when uh, a team especially the team you support is able to get by them but i think there's also an element of cleverness sometimes when it comes to poop housery and Two examples of that for me would be uh, the Netherlands team in the maybe 2018 or 2014 World Cup. I think it was 2014. Um, When Louis van Gaal uh, subs on Tim Krul for the penalty shootout and there's all this sort of gamesmanship and everything that's done there, it's that same thing of like, it's not breaking the moral code necessarily, but it's right on the edge of it for some of the disruptions that were caused. And another example of that in my mind is Bob Bradley when he was managing... I think it was Chivas. I can't remember, but it was when MLS had the rule that you could substitute, you could have a fourth substitute if it was a goalkeeper, because the idea was if a goalkeeper got injured, then you should be able to sub them out, even if you used all three. And Mm -hmm. he had, I think it was Tim Howard switch positions with an outfield player. He then, who then was then in goal. He subbed that player for an outfield player who was then in goal and then had that player switch back with Tim Howard. That's a very clever manipulation of the rules. Not technically a violation of the rules, though I think he may have ended up getting suspended or fined for it, but it's still a very clever manipulation and that feels like some housery to me as well.
0: Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Gents, I think we have done poop housery uh, well by its name. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you all for for joining me today But also listeners Thank you for sticking with us And I look forward to all of the
2: Suggestions and nominations For things we missed Because I know there are Many many more out there (laughs) I
0: hope there are Graham Rosman Thank you very much
1: Thank you Ryan Bailey
0: And listener Thank you once again We'll be back on the feed Very soon But for now Catch you later